Welcome to Roots and Sparks, hosted by me, Corey Ozer. In nature, roots nourish, give life, and connect. As humans, we draw energy from our roots. In times of change and uncertainty, our roots help keep us grounded. We will talk with people from around the world who draw strength from their roots while forging new connections as they create small sparks of hope, inciting us to imagine a kinder and more just world. My guest today is Frédéric Adou, a young social entrepreneur from Abidjan, Côte d'Ivoire. Fred is the creator of Atikan, a social business dedicated to telling new stories about Africa and helping others to tell theirs through communications. Fred knows that powerful stories are important to spark hope and encourage young people and others about what is possible on the continent. About a story you heard growing up. So I heard the story of a successful businessman when we were kids. And they used to tell us that the, the businessman does human sacrifices to be prosperous. We all believe in that. Uh, so we, we were afraid of the man. Uh, but when I grew up, I noticed that it was not true. I noticed that it was, let's say, a very clever person who had a strategy to develop his business. And until today, he has a very large company, which is employing uh, thousands of people in the region there. Uh, so. I heard this story and I think the story um, gave me a wrong image of the, 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 the man. And today I think we've, um, I, I think I've corrected this image because I myself am today doing entrepreneurship. I know successful, um, successful business uh, men and women. So I think um, um, when it comes to stories, we should pay very attention to what we, we hear, to what we tell people, because it has an impact on their opinion. That's interesting. So you had more insight into what was really happening as you, as you grew up. That's, yeah, that's interesting. So why in general do you think stories are important? Stories are important because they have the power to change things, to impact, and give uh, orientation to people's opinion in life. You know, the businessman story I thought about is an example of how stories are able to guide our opinion and even our life. Uh, today, as I said, I noticed by myself that it was not true uh, what we heard about the businessman uh, because. I'm doing business. I know people who are doing business and who are very successful without needing human sacrifice. And more importantly, I understand that the I understand the business plan of the man today uh, because it is a very big company today. And um, I conclude that he's just a clever person who 
uh, with the hard worker. So, um, yeah, uh, so that's what I can say about this. And so turning to the idea about shifting the narrative and telling stories about Africa. So you're a storyteller yourself and you help other people tell their stories. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what does it mean to shift the narrative about Africa and what are some of the new stories that need to be told? The shifting narrative about Africa is very simple. It means let's talk more about successes, about good things going on. I mean, let's get people used to hearing what is good on or in Africa and about Africa or about Africans. When when you read stories about Africa during the the last sixty years, I mean gives the image of a continent of despair. I think the, the same strategy could be used or should be used uh, over the next 60 years to give an image of a continent of hope. That's what I mean by shifting this, the, 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 the story. Because we have been used to a negative story for 16 years, and now I think we should get used to a positive story over the next 60 years. And, you know, uh, let's say several bad stories about Africa have made us lost a lot. We, we lost our natural resources, we lost our human resources, uh, but what is also very, very sensitive in this is that we, we even lost our self-esteem somewhere. And I think now, we need to restore all this with, uh, let's say, uh, new and positive uh, stories. So that's why I think it's important today to, to shift the narrative, to shift what we have been seeing about Africa, uh, to get people used to have a way of perceiving Africa uh, instead of the old way we have been seeing Africa. And we know that we have we see a progress, we know that there are a lot of challenges, but I think putting forward what is good give people the hope and the, the strength to get in and fight what is not good instead of just telling what's not good which would make people afraid which we push people to abandon to 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 give up because we know that not everyone has not everyone has the, the 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 capacity to resist when it is hard so i think stories of hope we have a lot in rebuilding this uh, new Africa we want. Stories of hope, it's a very inspiring vision. And I wonder why, why do you think there is this persistent narrative about Africa, this kind of negative narrative and who tells these stories and who benefits from continuing this kind of narrative? Stories, as I said, have the power of change. Uh, bad stories have destroyed a lot, and I believe that good stories will repair a lot. We even create a lot of changes. When it comes to uh, who tells the story and why, uh, who benefits from this story, 
Um, and when it comes to the persistent narrative about Africa I talk about, because the narratives we have been hearing as have been, let's say, what have um, guided, what have guided, uh, let's say, our, our opinion, our life, and how we do things. So if we have a new narrative today, or from today up, it we also, or this new narrative, sorry, we also guide our life, our opinion, our way of doing things. And unfortunately, until today, Africans are not sufficiently telling their own stories when it comes to uh, who tell the story today. Even today, because in the past, it was essentially Westerners. Today, some Africans are doing it, but they are not sufficiently doing it. The story about Africa, we, 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 we can notice today that they are dominantly told by Westerners. And, you know, as I, as I always say, um, something I learned about storytelling is that those who tell the story always benefit from the changes brought by the story. So, I think now, uh, obviously, the Westerners are the, the, the biggest beneficiaries of all the changes the story we tell today bring, because they are the ones who are dominantly still telling the stories of Africa. And let me just give you an example of how they benefit from it. They benefit from it because, as I said, uh, when you tell a story, you benefit from it. And when you benefit from it, it's like you bring in your own solution to a story you are telling. So when Westerners are telling the stories in a certain way about Africa, the solutions which we need, you know, we see it from a Westerner point of view, we see it from the perspective, uh, from the perception, sorry. And when it's like that, obviously, uh, they are the ones who are bringing the solutions, they are the ones who are coming with all what, uh, what would be behind that solutions, because um, they also have interest, which they have to defend uh, across across the, the, the world. So if they tell the story and we look at the story or we listen to the story and we think the story is true or the story this the best way of saying it it means the solution should come from that way of telling or of, uh, seeing uh, things on the continent so that's why they, they are the one benefiting from it until today and i think we in africa should really uh, start also dominating the 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 the, the telling uh, the narrative about the, the continent instead of leaving, I was seeing it for us and finding the solution uh, uh, for us because they, they're bringing the solution of how they see things or how they tell themselves the things. Well, that connects well to what I wanted to ask you about next. We know that in Africa that there are often international funders, government funders that are supporting work in the social sector, whether it be in education, health, political rights. And I have heard you say that you think that we need to move from donor-funded to community-owned work. Can you 
talk a little bit about this vision and specifically what is the role for communications in this shift toward more community ownership? Yeah, so before I uh, expand on this, let me make it clear. We need donors. Yeah, we need philanthropists. Um, but what we need most importantly is change the life of people who we are serving. And the donors, you know, they have the resources and sometimes they have some excellent ideas. We cannot deny that. But they never have the solution. And we should be clear on this. The solutions are always with the communities. And people of the communities, as I said, they have the solution. Unfortunately, what we have been used to um, is seeing donors planning everything, doing everything, and the consequences are, are there. The consequences are clear is that there is no sustainability in what, uh, uh, what are implemented. Uh, uh, the one of the consequences again is that we we don't really have visible impacts. You know, um, in the life of the people we have done the, the the different project for, and this is obvious. We can go and check in different communities where we have project which were oriented this way. So for me, we need donors, but we need to move from donor funded work now to we need to put the priority on the collaboration of the community instead of the resources coming from the donor. So uh, this is how I see it. You know, I believe uh, that if the donors limit the role and clearly recognize um, that the community has the solution, and they also recognize that the, 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 the community are the biggest stakeholder in terms of, uh, I mean, when it comes to success or failure of uh, any project, I think we will have uh, made a great step forward uh, and uh, changing the power dynamics, like um, not matching, I mean, not uh, underestimating what we do not bring in, but it's about bringing in what we have been leaving behind. So bringing in the, uh, the, the, the contribution of the community. And, you know, um, the government of Cote d'Ivoire did a project in an area of Abidjan called Pobui. They, they built a bridge for people to cross the road because on that road it's very difficult for cars to stop. And the people told the government, like, instead of building the bridge, you can just put a traffic light. Then uh, when the traffic lights are red, we can cross. When they are green, the car the cars can cross. But you know the the government didn't listen to the to the voice of the population and they went ahead and built the bridge. As I'm talking to you today, you, I mean you can find like 20 persons who are waiting for cars to stop before crossing and just see like one or two persons who are using the bridge to cross. It's very good to use the bridge, more security, everything. But I think when the population say this is how we think we can live, we should take that into consideration. And the leader used the traffic light, they used the, I mean, the leader built the traffic light, they built the, the, the bridge, of course, which is a very good solution because uh, based on the, the studies, based on the expertise, they think that's what is good, but that's not what's good for the people. And the people, the people are not using it. 
Yeah, so I just wanted to uh, give this example. Talking about communication, as I said, um, it's a, a very essential part in any uh, development work. Uh, so for me, communication can, coming to help this shift of power dynamics uh, by now, let's say, uh, setting up a kind of two-way communication because the communication we have been used to in project implementation is more between donors and implementers, like the expert who they they hire to implement the project. And most of the time, the communities are not really uh, taken into account in this. So for me, the two-way communication is now between the team of the donors, which includes the implementers and the community. So the community is one stakeholder, independent stakeholder, and donors with the the, 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 the staff, the implementers, the, the, the expert that we hire, or whatever our, um, I mean, whatever institutions that we use to implement the project, they are also one side of the stakeholders. So I think this is first, you know, I mean, this is the first step, the two-way communication. Um, you know, I think they can even cope Favor by creating space for the community to make input in the implementation of the project. And what have been what has been difficult in the past is that most of the community for which they implement the project, uh, we don't. Most of them are, are let's say illiterate. You know, um, they don't know how to read. They don't um, know how to write. Why we know that all this project, a lot of literature is around, people write a lot, and the community cannot read all this. For me, even if people cannot read or they cannot write, at least they can talk, they can speak. So we can just open spaces for them to be able to speak about the project which is coming in the community. So it could be like a kind of community radio which we set up temporarily. It could be uh, community platforms, which we set up, where we, uh, let's say, we got, uh, we we collect the the point of view, we collect the voices of the communities who maybe they will speak through different uh, uh, leaders, women leaders, uh, village uh, leaders, and yeah, we take that into consideration. Then now we use it as part of the ideas the donors have, and we see if, I mean, not we see, but we take it, we take what is the, the community say as the solution, because what they say is what they will be able to follow up. So if the community says, this is what we want, it means in the next five, 10 or 15 years, they will be able to continue to follow up uh, that project. But if it is just what the donors want, and this, uh, if it is how the donors see things, it's not sure that the community will be able to follow up because they don't really understand it and they don't want to maybe uh, get involved in something which uh, is beyond their the, uh, uh, the understanding. There's something so powerful about the idea of people finding their own voice and being able to use that voice to determine what they need, what they want, and not having those ideas imposed on them. I think there are stories like the one you shared in communities all around the world about things that don't really work because 
people in the community didn't have a voice in designing them or how they are implemented. So turning a little bit to you and your own life. So you're a young entrepreneur, you're making your life in Abidjan, trying to make changes and some of the things you've been talking about. And speaking of narratives, we often hear that many young Africans want to migrate and would love to hear what you think about this and then a little bit about where your passion to make change in Cote d'Ivoire and on the continent comes from. Uh, yes, so, uh, yeah, there are, there, are many, there are many young people, there are many people who want to go to the Western world. I believe that it's not really a matter of will, like something they are really, 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 really planning. It is more about feeling powerless to fight against a system here or to fight for, uh, to fight for their own life while they were supposed to, 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 to. I mean, they have the right to get things which they don't get here, which they don't find here. So it's beyond just a will. It is also a, an expression of the, uh, of the, the, the lack of power to, to, to really change things. And that's what uh, also, I mean, motivates me or create this passion. Uh, and that's where this, I mean, that's where uh, my passion, as you, you said, came from. Uh, for me, if we all go uh, to another world, because they are, uh, there is, there are a lot of good things there. Life is uh, finder. Um, who will do it for us? Who will do it for us? Uh, I think uh, in Western world where people want to go, the ancestors have already fought a lot for them. They have done it. They, they did a lot of sacrifice. Um, the life people are enjoying today in Western world, I'm not sure that the ancestors uh, enjoy that kind of life at the time, but uh, they beat it for people who are enjoying it today. So for me, uh, based on the story, um, the history, sorry, based on the history of Africa, uh, let's say we have our different mission just 60 years ago. Um, it's us, the, I mean, we are the ancestors of uh, Africa. We are the ones who have to create the conditions. Even if sometimes we feel like um, uh, we, we, we don't, I mean, we feel like there is no hope because sometimes you feel alone uh, when you want to do these kind of things, stay here, do it for your people. Everyone just look, I mean, they just look at you as someone who is not really, who doesn't really have uh, all the senses. So I think, um it's up to us to, to make it for the next generation that's where my passion comes from we cannot all go if we all go who will do it for 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 our children and as i said our generation uh, is the ancestors uh, yeah we are the ancestors of africa who have to set the pillars for the next generation so yeah once again if we go no one will do it for us that's where my passion comes from that it is a matter of people who feel powerless to fight, or to fight for 
a lot of hope. After a lot of um, let's see, a lot of fight also on the side. So it goes beyond the 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 the, the, the willing to migrate because it is it is to a point where somewhere they feel like we don't have the choice. We don't have the choice, so we think it is better somewhere than here. And and yes, I, you know, you you may not believe how many times I myself I convinced myself to stay in Cote d'Ivoire. It's not easy, you know, sometimes. So if some of us who really have this capacity of resistance who, who maybe have different ways of seeing things we 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 sit down and sometimes we question ourselves why are we staying in africa why don't we look for opportunities to go to 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 uh, in the western world where things are fine imagine people who maybe don't have the same capacities or capacity of um, uh, of resistance or of resilience the first opportunity to so i think it's more people who really feel powerless who to fight for, for for something which they think is is already lost in the um, so i don't really think it. and yeah you talk about my passion my passion came from the fact that if we all go to another world where the ancestors have fought for them, I mean, we fought without needing to also settle completely in another world. If we go to this world, who we do it for our kids? Who we do it for our kids? The ancestors of Westerners have already fought. They fought a lot. It was not also easy at the time, but they did sacrifice it. And I think many of the ancestors of Westerners also had the possibility of leaving the world, settling somewhere, not having any other relation with the with the with the with the with the world. But they did not do that. Whatever happened, whatever we can, I mean, whatever we can see about what happened with the Westerners in the past, they did it for the people. What do we do? We go to the Westerners, we benefit from the social system. As I said, I don't want to blame those who go, but for me, I find it selfish. I think our generation is the ancestors. I mean, we are the ancestors who have to set the pillars for the next generation. If we go, we want to do it for us. So that's what motivates me to, to stay here. I know sometimes maybe some of us who have this way of seeing things, we are just like um, we are we are we are very few. And we are, at a certain moment, feel like. Um, no one is following, but for me, uh, I believe that in the coming years, people will understand that we are never well than 
in our own or to our own let's say in our own our own home so even if we go with benefits from the system everything there you know <laughs> it will it we it we it will create nothing for africa so for me better stay here and maybe some of all we continue we continue to make sure that even if we don't get it at least we can we can clean the road for our kids to be able to get it tomorrow well that's definitely inspirational for your own generation and, and children as well um so fred before we move on to the next question i just want to stop for a second um there is a very loud like buzzing sound that comes when you're speaking and it can have something to do with the microphone it comes on and off and i'm not sure if you can you hear it or you don't hear it on your side uh i can't hear you on my side i can just hear my own voice speaking normally but i can hear okay um so you're using your built-in mic on the computer is that yeah the earphone so if you want i can remove it and use the mic of the the the, the laptop let's just see let's just try that right now before we start the next question and see if that makes a difference As I'm not sure what the issue is, I know sometimes it can be because of microphone. Can you hear me? Yep, I can hear you. Fine. Um, maybe just talk for a few seconds. Okay, let me see. So, sorry, just a minute. So, I was saying that if we go, not sure that there will be someone to do it for the future generation. So we are like the ancestors of those who have to live in good conditions. So it's normal that we do the sacrifice today. We don't go somewhere else. We stay here to fight. We stay here to create the conditions for the others to be able to, let's say, take it to another level. Fine. Yeah, I don't hear the sound problem right now. Um, so we'll see what happens with the rest of it. Um, I, yeah, okay, so I'll try with the next question. So Fred, can you tell me a little bit about what life was like for you growing up? I grew up in a village before the university. Um, that's why I attended primary school. Um, yeah, I live like every kid in the village. We, we go to school from Monday to, to Friday. We go on farm. 
on on Saturday. It was really not, let's say, it was it was a, a childhood of a villager. Like when we are in the village, um, there are many problems of the city we don't know. So there it was more like that but the problem was the problem of electricity we didn't feel it at that time because we were used to living without electricity and and it's today we realized that if there were electricity there were going to be a lot of opportunities for our parents to maybe uh, get more means uh, because the electricity comes with a lot of possibilities uh, but uh, they didn't get a lot of resources because we're limited just going to farm and selling the crops raw without even uh without no possibilities of doing something else so um that's what i i remember when i was growing up and today uh, i think we miss a lot of things mainly our parents didn't get um, a lot of means because uh, we were not in. We didn't. We're not living in. Let's say in conditions like today. Today the village has electricity and a lot of businesses are being developed there. And this is all what even gave me. I mean, this is also what gave me hope, because uh, I think if people have electricity today, they are able to develop the businesses, they are able to take care of their family. Uh, this we maybe discourage them from leaving, uh, or this will discourage them from going to Europe because they we they we know that at least if they stay there's something they can do to to live normally. And how about some of the stories that you heard growing up about what you could become and what were some of your dreams or what did your family wish for for you? Oh, I did not really hear something uh, specific about me um, or about what I could become. Uh, but I noticed that at a certain moment, some people did not believe when I was striving to work with international NGOs and also travel across Africa because I really wanted to travel across Africa, learn, discover. But uh, doing that in the, in, the, in the framework of my work. Uh, so I noticed that many uh, many people did not believe in in me when I was um, when I was uh, as a crossing that period. But I did not hear uh, something about what I could become. Uh, I wanted to become first primary school teacher, <laughs> and after I wanted to become let's say grammar school teacher. Not because it was a dream or a passion as such, but because you know at that time in villages or small cities, um, teachers were the only modern 
success success models who we know so uh, it's like you going to school what do you want to become if they told you that your teacher went to school and he became a um, teacher so that's the only role model you have in front of you when you are in a small city because at that time to to discover other um, other work other professions you you have to be in maybe big cities or in the capital so yeah i remember that and i also remember that my dad wanted me to join the military school i think i was ending my primary school certificate and that's what he said but uh, finally i didn't go there because um, there was a lack of means and also we did not hear about the deadline to apply uh, on time so that's why i didn't attend the military school ha huh. <laughs> that's interesting that would have been a very different path for you i think <laughs> so fast forwarding a little bit to last year when you started a new enterprise called Atikan. Um, maybe you could tell us a little bit about Atikan, starting with what the name means and what your vision is. Yeah, Atikan, Atikan, Atikan means like um, listing uh, sometimes in my, my marathon. So it's not something really related directly to communication, but I just love how, I mean, I just love the words. And for me, it is original than uh, what we always know, like maybe uh, Frederick Adu Communications Company, things like that, or I mean, these kind of uh, classic name names of companies we know. I just wanted to uh, bring something original. That's why I chose the name. And, Atikan, Atikan, um, Atikan wants, let's say, to unlock the African parents uh, through communication. So what we do is that we support NGOs and development organization work uh, through communication. We also support uh, the growth, the growth of uh, businesses um, in different parts of the continent uh, using also communication. So. Uh, this is what we 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 basically do. So we 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 bring in our communication expertise to support the work of uh, development organizations in different African countries. And we know that uh, many Africans are today uh, investing in different areas, in different uh, in different fields. So we think communication can play a very crucial role in getting the business known and connecting them with new market and uh, giving visibility to the amazing work so we put our communication uh, expertise at the service and we 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 also think that the communication company we set up is also an opportunity to give uh, jobs to, to to young africans to to, to africans who uh, we also, let's say, you be discouraged by the idea of going uh, to Western world uh, if they have the opportunity here to, to let's say, uh, uh, realize their dreams or their, their, their passion. 
That's really exciting. So if an organization or a company is trying to get its message out into the world and gets in touch with you, what might that process look like of working with them? Yeah, we are very open to um, this kind of collaboration. And any company or organization in this situation, I mean, organizations which want to get <clears throat> the word out there about their work, um, they just need to reach out to us. We are currently on Instagram, on Twitter, on LinkedIn. They can reach out to us directly on social media, uh, as well as by email or phone call. We really have diverse um, uh, uh, channels to, 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 to receive any kind of um, collaboration. So yeah, then the work starts. The work starts when we, we listen to, to what they want. Uh, because we are Atikan, so we listen first. <laughs> and when we also um, try to hear more about um, uh, about the work, and yeah, we discuss also the, the modalities with them, then we, we are ready to, to start the work for them. Well, that's great to hear about. And for anyone listening, I'll just make sure that people have the correct spelling of the company. So when they try to find you on LinkedIn and Instagram, they'll be able to do that. So it's A-T-I-K-A-N. So hopefully some folks will reach out to you. And finally, I'd love to hear from you a little bit about a storyteller that you admire. This could be someone who's working with film or with books or music. Who is someone that you are inspired by who's telling their stories? Yeah, I admire a lot a, a book writer called Amadou Kuruma. And I love his book called the Soleil des Indépendants. I'm not sure that it was translated in English. You know, uh, currently the book talks about the life of African countries, I mean, the life in African countries after the independence. And in this book, he, he points out how dictatorship, corruption, and uh, the different coup d'etat, let's say, have ruined the hope of freedom and development of Africans. So when we reach the independence stage, there were there were let's say, there were there was a lot of hope. It was like we belong to ourselves now. We will be ruling our own things. We will be governing our own goods and our own people. But it was a kind of disillusion because um, all this was not what we got because we almost got the same thing from our own leaders as what we used to get from, um, let's say, the uh, what we used to get from the 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 the, 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 the colonialists. So. Because it's a book which really points out the 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 despair of people uh, in this new uh, Africa, in this independent Africa. 
I really love this book, this book, and I also love most of his book. Uh, he even wrote a book about the war which happened in Liberia. Uh, it's very uh, an excellent book. I really like how he tells the story. Uh, and yeah, so let's see, he's someone who I really admire a lot in his way of telling the story in different books. Well, sounds like something worth reading for sure. Well, great to talk to you, Fred. Thanks so much. Thanks, Corey. Thanks for listening to Roots and Sparks. For comments or questions about this episode or suggestions about future guests, please reach out to Corey Oser on LinkedIn or Instagram and follow Roots and Sparks on your favorite podcast platform.